Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Valley's new talk show. The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about impeachment today. And I want to pop some very silly balloons. There's been a, the Democrats have given us a lot to work with this week. <laughs> and we're going to get to all of it. I, I haven't really had the time necessarily. I had a couple of guests come in to interview throughout the week, and I haven't really had the time to make fun of Democrats for what happened in Iowa. I haven't had time to sort of really put the final nail in the impeachment coffin haven't had a ton of time to make fun of Pierre Delicto um but we're going to try to get to a lot of that stuff today i want to start with this constant instinct that the democrats have had during this trump era all right they've seen the kind of systemic difficulties they face against a Republican Senate, okay? And the real gains the Republicans have made by controlling the Senate. By controlling the Senate, Republicans have been able to to confirm judge after judge after judge. By controlling the Senate, the Republicans were able to sort of put an end, a very decisive end to the impeachment contest, Mitt Romney's swing vote notwithstanding. And... It's really ticking off the Democrats. That in conjunction with Trump's win in 2016, where he lost the popular vote, but won the Electoral College vote, and actually won the Electoral College vote pretty decisively, has them really, really upset. And it has led to a bunch of different Democrat calls for eliminating the Senate and eliminating the Electoral College. Um... The other day, I retweeted a thing from Lawrence O'Donnell, who's a, for those of you who don't know, he's an MSNBC talking head who's most famous for having kind of a a Boston, New York-y, actually, I'm not sure what accent he has. I think it's Boston. Um, and uh, there was some outtake of unused footage where it's kind of like the thing where Bill O'Reilly got really mad on TV and yelled, we'll do it live. Um, uh, someone in the MSNBC studio was hammering something. And Lawrence O'Donnell just starts yelling, stop the hammering, stop, who's doing that hammering, stop the hammering. Anyway, that's about as good a Boston accent as I can do. So Lawrence O'Donnell, who's a big fat lefty, tweeted this out the other day, this very irrelevant fact. The 48 senators, he writes, who found Trump guilty represent 18 million more people than the 52 who voted not guilty. Hmm, Okay. That's very interesting news. <laughs> Utterly irrelevant, but very interesting. And he, he tweets that out as if that's a very significant fact, that 
the number of people that the senators who impeached Trump represent is greater than the number of people of those who voted not to impeach him or to acquit him. But it's part and parcel of what the Democrats have been upset about for the last, certainly for the last two years, Uh, that because Republicans control the Senate and the reason why Republicans control the Senate is because of these sort of regional and demographic advantages that Republicans possess. Namely, Republicans do much better in states with smaller populations. Republicans do better in rural and agrarian parts of the country. Those kinds of states tend to have fewer people, but every state has the same two senators apiece. Therefore, Democrats look at that and they think, okay, well, this is sort of a systemic, this is just a kind of built-in advantage that Republicans have, and it seems unlikely... And and they sort of lack the political imagination to think that it's going to be any other way. And that's what I want to talk about today is political imagination. We are very much prisoners of the moment when we look at our politics. And I think Democrats more so than anyone. I think the Democrats look at the Supreme Court all of a sudden getting for the first time in you know a gazillion years, I mean, in so long that I think it was even before the modern sort of political right and political left were even even really took shape and formed. This is the first time we've genuinely had probably a conservative majority on the Supreme Court and the left is losing their bleep over it. So they see that they see that this system is working. This institution is working in a way that benefits the right. And their immediate response is change it. And as a result, you've got Pete Buttigieg, who as of now, well, I guess if you <laughs> if you trust the Iowa results, is one of the top Democratic contenders for president. Here's Pete Buttigieg openly arguing that the Supreme Court should get expanded to 15 justices. Which is, uh, I mean, his whole theory is bizarre and absurd. And if President Trump had suggested the same thing with conservatives in the minority... Every single serious commentator on cable news and on, you know, CNN, ABC, NBC, CNN, whatever, would be saying that this is President Trump trying to take the part of a dictator. If he's going to pack the Supreme Court, this is President Trump trying to in- exercise dictatorial control. That, that's uh, no doubt. That is how people would view an effort by President Trump to expand the Supreme Court to pack it with people more to his liking. But Pete Buttigieg does it, and it's just... (laughs) Ah, yes. All-American, cornbread, CIA plant, (laughs) Pete Buttigieg just wants to expand the Supreme Court. I mean, it's it's a completely alarming policy. But the media doesn't care because the institution is not serving them. And that's the thing. The default leftist assumption, the default left-wing assumption, is that all of these institutions are supposed to support a certain set of political values advancing. Left-wing liberalism. And I'm using this not not Bernie Sandersism, which is actually a little too radical for some of these very wealthy groups uh, who, you know, they don't want Bernie Sanders to get elected president because 
they think he might actually redist- they, he might actually redistribute their wealth in a way that might affect their pocketbooks. Uh, but this very comfortable, vaguely capitalist, but still very left wing as far as all social issues are concerned, Democrat politics, that is what these institutions are supposed, that is the outcome these institutions are supposed to bring about. That is the natural progression of history. That is the natural march of history. And if anything comes about that is different from that, it freaks the left out. This is why you see, you know, the only legitimate way for the Democratic Party's, you know, presidential nomination to work out is for someone other than Bernie Sanders to win. The only way a presidential election can turn out is for the Democrat to win. And if those outcomes don't happen, we immediately start blaming Russian hacking, the Brexit vote, okay, <laughs> and or uh, Boris Johnson becoming, uh, you know, massively expanding his majority in parliament. Uh, it is supposed to go a certain way, and if it doesn't, it's a failure of the institution, it's Russian hacking, it's this, it's that. Iowa getting screwed up, was, oh, it's Russian, more Russian hacking. It seems like this is the default, the default accusation. And so they call for the destruction of these institutions. They call for abolishing the Senate. I mean, there, there are very serious academic liberals. This is not a totally fringe thing. There are very serious academic liberals who look at the Senate and look at the fact that it is narrowly benefiting Republicans right now. All right. And, and let me note, I mean narrowly. Republicans have had, since Trump was in office, somewhere between 51 and 53 vote majorities, okay? It's not like we got a 60 to 40 advantage, okay? We could lose the Senate, okay? Like, like that's a very foreseeable outcome of the 2020 election, okay? It's not out of the realm of possibility. I'm not saying we will. I'm just saying it's, it's very foreseeable how Democrats can take control of the Senate, I'll also remind people that as recently as 2010, Democrats had a 60 to 40 advantage in the Senate. 60 to 40. All right. That is dominant. It means they can break filibusters. But because in the moment they happen to be losing in the Senate and there's this, you know, conventional wisdom that Republicans do better in low population states, therefore they're going to have an advantage in the Senate. Then, I mean, yeah, that conventional wisdom makes some sense. But to call to abolish the Senate because right now it's not benefiting you, that's ridiculous. Call to abolish the Electoral College. By the way, you know what Democrats have with the Electoral College? Okay, so you need to get to how many votes do you need to get to in the Senate? I think in the Electoral College, I think you need to get to 270 votes, 270 Electoral College votes in order to win right off the bat. They get an automatic 80 votes from California and New York without any questions. Okay, so really, Democrats only need 190 Electoral College votes. Like the Electoral College in some ways gives them a big advantage. There is this blue wall that Republicans can essentially never pierce that guarantees the Democrats a huge number of Electoral College votes that gets them very, very close to victory. 
So they want to just throw out the Electoral College because it's not benefiting them right this very second? Because President Trump and George W. Bush in his first election happened to win Electoral College votes without winning the popular vote? And by the way, the only reasons they won the Electoral College while losing the popular vote is, one, George W. Bush, like, barely lost the popular vote. It was extremely close. And two, because Hillary Clinton was maybe the worst presidential candidate in modern American history. Hillary Clinton somehow never visited Wisconsin once. Hillary Clinton lost. Hillary Clinton was incredibly unlikable, had a very scandal-ridden past, had a scandal-ridden present with all of the stuff about her emails and her email server and blah, blah, blah. But the Democrats see this and want to throw it out. And I guess my response to it all is don't throw something out unless you understand why it's there in the first place. I like the Senate. I like the Electoral College. I like the fact that the Senate gives greater weight to rural and agricultural parts of the country. I like the fact that there is a body, the Senate, where every single state, the representatives of every single state, have an equal playing field and an equal say. Where if you're a small state, you're not just subjected to domination by New York and California. If you're a small state, there is one forum where you have an equal playing field with everybody else and you are just as important. I think that's valuable. I envy that. I wish the San Joaquin Valley were one of those states. Frankly, as I've argued on this show a number of times, you could take non-coastal California and turn it into an extremely red state of 13 million people, a state with a very definite economy, very definite economic interests, very definite economic concerns, its own sort of culture, its own sort of, I mean, its own sort of identity. You could really make more than one very credible states out of non-coastal California. That's the thing. Non-coastal California, all right, coastal California, by which I mean the Bay Area and Los Angeles, it's about 27 million people. Non-coastal California is about 13 million people, which is more people than live in Ohio. So that's the thing. We think of California as this extremely left-wing liberal state. Hidden inside of it is a red state that's larger than Ohio. We just don't see it. And that's just what I want to argue for, what the founders designed in the Constitution. A lot of it was really smart as far as the mechanisms for how governments, how our government, our system of government in this country should run to give to to basically say, no, we don't want the United States to be a pure democracy. We don't want it simply to be that the majority rules. We need to weight certain kinds of interests against another and elevate certain kinds of interests against others. The interests of farming and agriculture, rural parts of the country, need to have a little extra representation, a little extra weight, because naturally those parts of the country are going to have more dispersed populations, less dense populations, and they will always be outvoted by you know, the big states, by the states with large concentrated population groups and urban centers. We need to preserve that. And they did preserve that through the Electoral College and through the Senate. And 
I guess this is what I got to argue to the Democrats. You know, you have all of these institutions in place within the Constitution. They might, at the current moment, benefit Republicans. They could very easily benefit you. Like, have a little bit more political imagination. And before you completely demolish something, think about what it is you're demolishing. And how you might be hurting the country long term by demolishing it. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Iowa caucuses and the rise of Pete Buttigieg and sort of what he might represent. We haven't been, we haven't really given ourselves enough time and space to really make fun of the Democrats for what a disaster uh, this last week has been. So we're going to hear a little bit from Peggy Noonan about that. We're going to talk about the Iowa caucuses. It's going to be a great show. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. This is the new John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. All right. I'm going to give myself space to make fun of the Democrats for the Iowa caucuses. Boy, what a lousy, what a lousy showing that was. Um, and I think it's, this might spell the end for the Iowa caucuses. Uh, I have never really understood why Iowa was in charge of doing this. Basically, imagine a state with about the same number of people as, I don't know, Fresno, Tulare, and Madera counties. And uh, imagine that that state, imagine Fresno, Tulare, and with roughly the same demographics, I might add. Although actually far less diversity because there are like three Mexicans in Iowa. Um, So there's way more ethnic diversity in our part of the state uh, than there is in Iowa. And that state, imagine Fresno County only way whiter, okay? (laughs) That is setting the tone for uh, the entire rest of the presidential race. Okay. So as of now, it appears that More or less, the big winners are Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders. And it seems like now Pete Buttigieg is sort of surging in New Hampshire. And so I think this might be, it's kind of remarkable given how popular Biden is in other parts of the country. And and I I guess, you know, the, the idea that a former vice president of the United States is fading so fast is a little, probably has to be super alarming He came in fourth place in Iowa. You know, if he's not going to win Iowa, how is he supposed to win all of these Rust Belt states? I think that's a very good question. But it seems like this is going to be the matchup, the establishment coalescing around Buttigieg and the far left coalescing around Sanders as they abandon uh, Pocahontas, Elizabeth Warren. And it just goes along with a whole it's been a very bad week for democrats the failure of their tech or whatever to that resulted in none of the results coming in it was a huge embarrassment for the democrats it throws their party into real chaos you know usually after iowa you'd like to have someone be the winner and have some clear direction about where the party is going they don't have that they kind of think it's bernie and they kind of think Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think it's Buttigieg and nobody has any confidence. The Bernie people are rightly paranoid because they in many ways got you know got the short end of the stick in 2016 uh, I think if if you see Bernie lose again under suspicious circumstances and and maybe Iowa's all you need for these suspicious circumstances to exist if Bernie loses again it's going to be bad uh for the democrats I think there's a good chance that Bernie people will walk in huge numbers because they they don't like Pete Buttigieg. Okay, this is the dirty secret. Bernie Sanders is 78 and Pete Buttigieg is like 45. And young people love Sanders. Young Democrats, I should say, love Sanders and hate Pete Buttigieg. Okay? Uh, Buttigieg basically represents all of the interests that Sanders stands against. Worked for big, powerful consulting companies. He was actually in the military, which a lot of these, uh, let, let me just say, uh, the United States military is probably not the most treasured of American institutions for the average Bernie Sanders voter. So it was a really embarrassing showing in the Iowa caucuses, and it was part of a really embarrassing week. Now, probably the most interesting sort of summary of what has happened this week between the State of the Union with Pelosi's performance at the State of the Union and what, hap- what has happened with the Iowa caucuses, uh, actually Peggy Noonan had a really excellent sort of summary of it. Now, I look a little askance at Peggy Noonan. Peggy Noonan was a speechwriter for Reagan. Um, frankly... Still have never quite forgiven her for sort of supporting Obama in 2008. Never, never going to get over that entirely. And my mom famously has held a grudge against Peggy Noonan for that same reason. But she's a heck of a writer. And she had sort of two thoughts. First, she had a tweet that I thought was spot on, uh, which I just want to read. It, it, when you're a really good writer, you're shockingly, it leads to you writing really good Tweets. This is a big night. This was from the State of the Union. This is a big night. A cleaved down the middle night with no one trying to hide the divide. No ameliorating courtesy. No enacting a formal regard. Just the great divide. Unhidden and out there for all the world to see. And I think that was a perfect summary of what was going on at the State of the Union. Here was President Trump talking about all these wonderful, great, wonderful things. And the Democrats completely sitting on their hands. Here's President Trump trying. Frankly, it was sort of President Trump trying to give the most moderate conservative priorities and goals, showing the good things in them, and Democrats refusing even to applaud for that. Even, I mean, the, I think the, the most stark example of this was the little two-year-old girl who had been born at, I think, 21 weeks of pregnancy, who had, you know, was one of the youngest kids ever to, you know, one of the basically one of the smallest preemies ever to be born and to survive. And President Trump pointing out 
that late-term abortion results in the killing of unborn children who were older and larger than her. And you know, offering this, what is a very moderate position, that Democrats should pass federal legislation to end late-term abortion, a bill that the Republicans have had, you know, have floated in the House and floated in the Senate, which Democrats defeated in the House or, you know, filibustered in the Senate. And let's note that banning late-term abortion is not an unpopular position, okay? Like 90% of the country thinks late-term abortion is wrong. 90% of the country is in favor of limiting late-term abortion, okay? So this is President Trump offering this very middle ground thing, highlighting, look, isn't it good that this two-year-old survived after, you know, being delivered at 20 weeks of pregnancy? Isn't it shocking how children older than she was when she was born can be aborted legally? And in fact, if you're talking about abortion from basically 20 weeks onward, more children are aborted in late-term abortions than are killed by gun violence every year. Okay, there was an FBI, there's FBI statistics um, from, you know, the total number of people killed by gun violence in the course of a year. It's actually less than the number of children who are killed by late-term abortion. Now, the, the overwhelming majority of abortions happen in the first 20 weeks of pregnancy, but it's still something like, I believe it's, it's something like, uh, I'm going to get the numbers wrong here, but I think the FBI was saying about 10,000 people per year get killed by gun violence, and it's something like, Twelve or 15,000 are killed in late-term abortions every year. But even that, the Democrats couldn't applaud for. Even that, the Democrats sat on their hands because they are that committed to such a radical abortion regime. And they looked petty, and they looked small, and all of these great things that Trump was talking about, and they didn't stand to applaud for any of it. Meanwhile, sitting behind the president, making a bunch of faces, mugging for the camera jilting him at the start by not giving him the usual encomia that the president is supposed to receive when he enters, was Nancy Pelosi, who capped off the night. Trump looked during the State of the Union, and he's good at State of the Unions. I mean, look, I'm not always 100% a fan of every single Trump decision and presentation style. I will admit he has won one more presidential election than I am, so who am I to judge here? But... The fact of the matter is, he looked good during the State of the Union. He sounded good. He's very good at doing the State of the Union because I think he he listens to his advisors enough not to slam people during the State of the Unions. And I think those are all of his best moments, which is why I sort of think he should act like that more often. He does really well when he tries to fit in with the pomp and circumstance of of the presidency. Pelosi looked so small in comparison and so petty. You know, sitting behind him, mugging at the camera, making faces, and then finally, to cap it off, ripping up his speech, which I think made her base happy, made some primary voters happy. But guess what, Nancy? You don't need to make them happy. You're the Speaker of the House. You're not running for president. Okay, what, what are you doing? Why are you so involved? Her stunt of trying impeachment... I think has really genuinely hurt the Democrats because they are leaderless right now. And this is what Peggy Noonan wrote about in the Wall Street Journal. The Democrats' unserious week. 
The fiasco in Iowa, the foolishness of the State of the Union, do they realize how bad they look? Democrats, when they're feeling alarmed or mischievous, she writes, will often say that Ronald Reagan would not recognize the current Republican Party. I usually respond that John F. Kennedy would not recognize the current Democratic Party and would never succeed in it. And she goes on and on to say, look, the Democrats just don't even look serious. They're bungling things in Iowa. They are responding to Donald Trump. You know, that was always Pelosi's big calling card was she would always act like Trump was a child and she was the adult in the room. And now she's forfeited that high ground. Whatever high ground she may have claimed to have, she has forfeited it. And, I mean, I, I really think if Trump winds up winning again, if the Democrats put forward a weak or unserious presidential candidate who is wounded by the illegitimacy of whatever happened in Iowa, look, if Pete Buttigieg wins the nomination, the Bernie Sanders people are going to say something screwy happened in Iowa, gave him a bump. If Bloomberg wins, the Sanders people will again say, look, something screwy happened in Iowa. Something screwy happened in Iowa. It didn't give Bernie the proper bump that he needed. Bloomberg is a billionaire who's stealing the election. And boy, Bloomberg is spending so much money. Bloomberg is spending so much money. He is trying to buy this election. And the Sanders people will be furious if anyone other than Sanders wins this thing. If the Democrats wind up losing in 2020, I really genuinely think that we're, we can probably look back to this week, this week in February, the collapse of the impeachment case. The debacle at the State of the Union with Nancy Pelosi ripping up her copy of the State of the Union. And the debacle in the Iowa caucuses. I think these three things might really kind of loom large. Because guess what? Trump's approval numbers are expanding. Trump's approval numbers are getting a bounce the same way Bill Clinton's numbers got a bounce after he was impeached and acquitted by the Senate. You know, I, I really think this week, you know, and look, the, we have short attention spans and we, we tend to look at things, uh, make things too important in the moment. But I think this week is really going to, this week could really be the point in time that you can highlight by the time no, the November election said and done. And if President Trump has gotten reelected, we might look back to this week and think, boy, This was the week when Trump established himself as the more presidential option and the Democrats established themselves as an unserious party. And if you can't make yourself look more serious than Donald Trump, a TV show host, boy, uh, you deserve to lose. All right, when we come back, we're going to sort of put the nail in the coffin of impeachment. I will talk briefly about Pierre Delecto. And we'll be right back on The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. All right. The impeachment trial of the president is closed. He has been acquitted. 
So what does this mean? What does what the future sort of hold? And, and what are our thoughts about this as we go along? Now, what does the future hold? I think the future holds that the Democrats in the House will continue to investigate the president and will maybe they'll try to call John Bolton and try to get, you know, try to go through the court proceedings to see if they can get him. But ultimately, I mean, the real future for what impeachment, the real future for impeachment. And I guess the real question to answer here is, are they going to try to impeach Trump again? Yes, I think they will. I think they will try. But the one way in which they won't try will be this. Uh, you know, throughout the impeachment process, I talked about this notion of cheapening impeachment and politicized impeachment. And this notion that the framers of the Constitution, when, you know, in the Federalist Papers, when they were talking about impeachment and removal of the president, basically you're talking about removing political power from someone who has political power. And political power, coming from the Greek word polis, which means the people. The president has the people's power. He is elected by the people. He exercises power on behalf of the people. So you don't want to remove that political power outside of an election season unless you are sure that the people overwhelmingly think this guy needs to go. And so we don't turn to the courts to decide it. The courts are not accountable to the people. The courts are not selected by the people. They are not subject to re-election. They have lifetime appointments. We turn to Congress to deal with whether or not we should remove this political power from this political actor of the president because Congress also has political power. Congress is also elected by the people. They are also accountable to the people through re-election. And obviously, impeachment is this extraordinary measure to remove a president before his duly appointed term limit is over and outside of the normal context of choosing or removing a president, which is an election. So we have mechanisms in the Constitution to ensure that only if there is overwhelming consensus among the American people that this guy needs to go, only then practically speaking, can Congress actually get him out? Because you need a two-third majority in the Senate, and unless you have two-third majorities in the Senate willing to get this guy out of here, he, practically speaking, will not go. And the framers basically give that as the more practical standard for what kinds of things are impeachable and removable. If you do something that's so bad that even members of your own party agree that you should go, then you should go. It has to be something so egregious that it cuts across the normal lines of political partisanship. Nixon did that, okay? Nixon probably would have gotten a lot of Republican votes in the Senate to remove him, and that's why he resigned before he could be either impeached or convicted in the Senate. But never in American history in the other two impeachments have members of an have members of that president's own political party voted to convict, except for this one, where Mitt Romney voted to convict the president on one of the two counts. Now, um, what do I think of this? Uh, there are a lot of Republicans who are ready to hang Mitt Romney from a tree, who are furious at Mitt Romney, who want him recalled, etc. I, I am not that exercised about it I mostly I mean look it didn't affect the final outcome Romney and Trump hate each other 
and, and it's one of those kind of political rivalries and political hatreds that kind of die hard. They're, they're sort of die hard. I think Romney was wrong. I can understand his reasons for voting the way he did. The thing I really disliked, though, was his notion that he was taking his oath to render impartial justice more seriously than the other Republicans were. Um, I think the other Republicans also took their oaths very seriously. And I think the reasons that the other Republicans gave for for voting to acquit the president make perfect sense. Um, whatever happened here, even the worst case scenario here, was not that serious. And maybe he did something wrong. A lot of Republicans ex- ex- expressed a lot of reasons. It wasn't all just everyone was a Trump fanboy. No, a lot of Republican senators said, look, I think what happened here wasn't great. I don't like the notion of asking a foreign government to investigate an American. We use American agencies to investigate Americans. That's, I mean, that, if, if there's one thing I can say Trump did wrong in the whole Ukraine thing, I think that was what was wrong, was asking a foreign government to investigate an American. We have the FBI. The FBI can investigate things. We have the Justice Department. They can investigate things without having a foreign government do it. But the thing, the, the main thing that I want to take out of this is, well, will the Democrats just try to impeach him again? Will we constantly now have this process of highly politicized impeachments where as long as the opposing party runs the House of Representatives, the president will always be impeached? Because presidents will always do stuff of questionable legality, okay? Reagan did stuff of questionable legality. Clinton did. Uh, George W. did. Every president has done Bad things, questionable things, things that could merit an impeachment inquiry if you were hyper-politicized and willing to use the kind of standard that the Democrats used against Trump. So will these impeachments happen? I don't think so, and let me explain why. If President Trump wins in 2020, if President Trump seems to actually get a bump out of getting impeached, if this launches him to victory in 2020... You're never going to see Democrats impeach a Republican for a long, long time. The reason why Republicans never launched impeachment inquiries against Obama was simple. It didn't work with Clinton. If President Trump gets reelected with greater majorities than in 2016, Democrats are not going to try that again. Not for a long, long time. We'll be back with our closing thoughts on The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Thank you all for listening to The John Girardi Show today. Hey, tune in tomorrow from 9 to 10 a.m. to Right to Life Radio, the weekly radio show that I host uh, on behalf of Right to Life of Central California, which is my work. We'll have stories from the sidewalk from uh, some of our sidewalk advocacy employees, Linda Talia, and we'll be talking about the State of the Union and more. So tune in tomorrow to Right to Life Radio, 9 to 10 a.m. right here on Power Talk. This has been The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 a.m. 1400 and the Radio app. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.